The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. In the Dharma and Depression series, Ronika Batsnik encouraged participants to speak freely about their experiences with depression, assuring them that their remarks would not be made public. Therefore, participants' comments and questions have been excluded from this recording. So let's um, let's please uh, sit for about uh, ten minutes. And for those of you, who, who, is anybody not familiar with sitting meditation? Okay. Um, so for the next ten minutes, I encourage you to breathe uh, very gently through your heart center, as the metaphor uh, in the body for the seats of emotions and feelings the difficult ones and the sweet ones. Just bringing your attention to that heart center and allowing your breath to gently nourish and and focus on the goodness, the sweetness in your life. And reflecting in a grateful way that in this rainstorm, this dark and stormy night, that you've made the courageous effort um, to come here, to arrive here, to learn more how to manage your mind and have a different, more mindful relationship to it. Perhaps reflecting on today and reviewing some of the skillful things that you've done in order to uplift your mind in preparation for this evening's session. So often we're so critical and brutal with ourselves. This is an opportunity to focus on the heart center and use the mind in a constructive way by reflecting on the skillful actions of body, speech, and mind that we engaged in today. Thank you very much. Yeah, I left uh, Berkeley <laughs> um, about 6 o'clock in, in hopes that I was not going to get caught in that horrendous rainstorm, but uh, I did. <laughs> so I'm particularly happy to be here this evening because uh, it's been a treacherous couple of days, hasn't it? So I'm very impressed and very pleased that so many people came tonight because I, I, I just was thinking, who in their right mind would leave the coziness of their home or office or wherever to come out. So um, thank you so much for doing so. Um, and as Linda said, this is the third night in this series on Dharma and Depression. So um, tonight, uh, a couple of people had asked me just to review some of the symptoms um, of depression and so I just wanted to review that tonight with you. Um, and these are some of the symptoms of the 
depression or signs that if they persist over 14 or so days, I mean 13, 15, you know, more or less, um, is a good signal or a good feedback system to acknowledge your own depression or to um, evaluate, you know, from when you're observing anybody else. So, for example, um, this is a, these are some very common questions. Um, thoughts that you would be better off dead. Um, you know, how was, did you have these thoughts rarely, um, a minority of the time, the majority of the time, or nearly all the time over 14 days? Um, experiencing lack of pleasure and enthusiasm, again, on that scale of uh, rarely, um, rarely um, a minority of the time, majority of the time, and nearly all the time. Feeling depressed or hopeless, trouble falling or staying asleep or not being able to get out of bed, poor appetite or eating to uh, uh, escape discomfort, view of yourself as worthless, a failure or shameful, difficulty concentrating, slow movements or speech or agitated movements in speech, and belief that you let yourself or others down. So the common, um, from the psychological point, you would ask people to evaluate or ask yourself to evaluate, and to the extent that you have a majority or nearly all the time scores against these, the answering or in response to these um, statements, then that would be a signal that you're experiencing either moderate or severe depression and it would be a very good time to reach out and get get assistance, um, uh, keeping in mind that help is available, particularly the help that comes from the Buddha, the doctor, as he encourages us to uh, use the medicine of mindfulness in the presence um, of the Sangha, the nurse. So um, any comments or questions about that that I could answer before we begin? And I hope that clarifies things a bit. Um, for you, um, just on a general level. Yes. The question was, um, persistent feelings of anxiety, Is that would that be a sign of depression? I think I had mentioned before that depression and anxiety are cousins. And a lot of times, you know, uh, when you can feel withdrawn and like you can't get out of bed or you're so agitated, that you, you, know, you can't stop moving or thinking, you know, wild, wild, the wild hamster running around. Um, thoughts of anxiety uh, usually, are about the, uh, usually occur about the future. You know, what if I can't? Uh, what if this happens? What am I going to do? And, it's, um, and, so, and panic, too, you know, the, the fear that, that grips you, um, um, usually related you know, to thoughts that we that we believe, um, both anxiety and panic have enormous, you know, and very powerful physiological correlates. You know, where you feel like you're jumping out of out of your skin, and it's they're very, you know, difficult mind states to endure. Um, very difficult mind states to endure, which is why a lot of physicality is uh, exercise or just you know, walking is good, but none of these mind states, by the way, I also wanted to mention, you know, uh, there seems to be like a spiritual morality system where if you need to get 
if you need to see a psychiatrist or you need to get your uh, your feelings of depression evaluated, somehow it's a moral failure by doing so, and that if you're, quote, spiritual enough, you know, you could tough it out. Well, I, I would just encourage you to change the prism of, of that um, viewpoint that actually sometimes the very best thing you could do for yourself is to... Um, to find out if medication could be appropriate for you. And I'll tell you one of the major reasons why. First of all, you know, the deeper you suffer, the harder it is to get back to some level. It's like in pain control when you're in the hospital. They say as soon as the pain comes, you give a shot of, you give yourself a beep of whatever the pain medicine they're, they're putting in your um, intravenous. They say, do it right away because if you wait longer, it's going to take longer to get better. So I'm not saying you should, you know, believe me, I'm not saying you should run to the physician or psychiatrist if you feel badly instantly and ask for medication. But it takes wisdom to say, well, after two two or three weeks or I've, you know, I felt this way before and when I do, I'm very, I'm non-functional. It takes me a long time to get back into the world and to relationships and to not believing my thoughts or facts. Um, uh, a lot of times the, the medicine could keep you at a level where you actually can be more mindful. You can be more present because you're not at the bottom of the ocean, as they like to say. If you're at the bottom of the ocean, it's very difficult to be mindful. You can be mindful of feeling numb and you can be mindful of feeling you know, absolutely terrible and you can be mindful of you know, the feelings of hopefulness, um, hopelessness. On the other hand, with a certain... Um, level within your mind where you where the medicine uh, prevents you from completely going down you know to the pits does anybody know what I'm talking about um, um, then you're actually doing yourself a favor you know to, to uh, not allow that to happen and to allow yourself a certain protection where you can effectively use mindfulness and I was just teaching a, um, a course for psychologists at Spirit Rock and I had the great honor of doing it with one of my um, colleagues and mentors in the Department of Psychiatry at UCSF and he told he, he reported a study that I'd never heard before which was that um, people who were taking medication and were using mindfulness and wanted to get off the medication were able to wean themselves off with the help of, the psychi- of a psychiatrist off the medication and stabilize themselves through the methods and the medicine they used um, learning mindfulness while um, as a form of healing. So, um, you know, a lot of times people say, but I don't want to be dependent on it for the rest of my life. And da, da, da. You know, those are the kind of thoughts, you know, those are the kinds of thoughts that, that keep you um, feeling terrible about yourself. You don't know. And these study results are, you know, very interesting and they're very hopeful that for those who are taking medication who, or who might start, um, who knows? We don't know that the medicine of mindfulness, the medicine of loving kindness, the metal medicine of soft eye attention, um, the medicine of the precepts that we were talking about last week. These are, you know, very powerful, very significant um, uh, ways to heal yourself. And so um, with that said, are there any comments or questions about that? Please. 
Yes. So the, the question is um, that that a lot of these medicines work, and, yeah. and that, that there are realistic things in life that create these difficult mind states like anxiety and depression, and and this this is why we practice. By the way, this is the exact reason why we practice. So we have a medicine chest of things we can go to. Um, as we understand the territory of depression as it starts to arise. I mean, some of my teachers who have taught me about this, they say, you know, ask, ask people, what's the scent? I love that word. Like, what's the scent that you feel that the anxiety is coming on? You know, is it you're easily distracted? Is it that you don't answer your phone? You know, um, that your mind is racing with, you know, very negative and, and thoughts that um, that completely you know grip grip you what what so when you know them that's when you that's mindfulness that you could use to then apply the medicine I was just saying that awareness the mindfulness that comes to looking at what your mind states and what your body states are that's the beginning that's the foundation this is what we need to establish. And then we, that's medicine number one. And then medicine number two is that we have to ask ourselves, what are the most nourishing things I could do right now rather than depleting things? What are the things that are going to escalate the anxiety versus the things that can, I, I could do to help manage it? Okay. But without that foundation of awareness of this is what's happening in this moment, Okay, what happens is it tends to take on a life of its own and you're in, boom, you're in anxietyville. Boom, you're in depressionville. And that's when it's difficult to get out. It's easier to get off the train or not even get on the platform. I, I, I would recommend reframing it to saying, um, I can do something and it will be effective. You know, that, yeah, to, to reframe the language that like we were talking last week about the precept of, of false and harmful speech. You know, I can't do anything. That's, that's a pretty strong label you know, to put on, on yourself. It's like, again, the expression, to the extent that I am able, I will use wisdom in this situation, although I know, you know, that there's a battle going on because usually, you know, there's, the, you know, the, 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 the um, the force of, of negative thoughts is so strong normally in, in, this, in, this, in this wheel um, that it's hard to get wisdom, you know, coming in to saying, wait, you know, I can, I have some choices here. You know, I could apply some medicine at this point. And then, you know, the voices go, it doesn't matter, it's not going to work, it's, you know, it's even worse than I thought, and it's, you know, it's, I'm alone and it's, you know, it's hopeless. And so, you know, that's why when you build up awareness and you build up medicine, you could you could say these thoughts are not facts. You know, every feeling, you know, as I said last week, Rilke said no feeling is final. You know, thoughts change. Like, you, you could be completely miserable. I mean, in one of these things where you're, you know, your poor appetite and you're eating to escape discomfort, you're in the front of the computer zoning out in front of the TV, and then you win the lottery. You know, I mean, where, where did that, you know, it, you would think it would change your mind state a little, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I mean, probably. Wouldn't, so um, what I'm saying is that, you know, just when you think, you know, it's never going to change, you know, something happens and it does. Even if the phone rings, you know, 
in that minute, you know, you're, you're not like the, the thoughts are not necessarily attacking. So the question is, um, what can I do in this moment knowing that it's difficult? What is the wisdom I could use that can arise? Even just looking at the anxiety and saying, this is anxiety. This is what it feels like to, to feel like I'm, it's, I'm jumping out of my skin. Okay. Or alternatively, the cousin, this is what it feels like to be completely numbed out. You know, this is what it, this is what it feels like. My nose feels like this. You know, my ankle feels like that. My heart feels like this. You know, the body is a refuge. The mind is, you know, as, as, as I, as I've been told and I've, as I've learned over and over, it's pretty shameless. You know, it'll, it'll just, you know, pump out these awful, you know, uh, you know, um, really, you know, pitiful thoughts to get our attention. But, you know, the wisdom is that we don't have to take them as facts of our lives. Yeah, thank you. So the 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 issue was that, you know, there there could be signals of anxiety or depression and there could be an underlying condition. And so it's good to get it checked out. My main message, I'm a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, is that um, is is basically alerting you to the thoughts of feeling like a moral failure, you know, or a spiritual failure. If, you know, if indeed you take drugs or need them or get them prescribed. And I'm just, I'm just urging you to challenge those thoughts, um, that, um, if you do, if you do take them, they, they could be aiding, uh, your mindfulness because when you're, you know, in a severe depression, it, it could be more difficult, um, to, to apply some of these medicines. So I, I'm just alerting, I'm just saying that because I've heard so many people say, well, I don't want to be on it and I wish I can get off. And, um, you know, that kind of pressure was really self-induced. And see what happens when you, when you use medicine, the medicine of mindfulness. And as the study suggests, you know, people do get off the med, do get off the meds and take different meds. The medicine that the Buddha prescribed. Mindfulness is, is basically non-judgmental awareness. It's just, it's being present for whatever is happening now and seeing it as it is rather than how we want it to be or how we don't want it to be. This isn't about like fixing or avoiding the depression. This is about, mindfulness is about um, having an awareness of what's happening in the moment and letting it be as it is. So it's not about fixing it, it's about developing a different relationship to it. And that's healing in and of itself because when you, when you have awareness of self-hatred, it's impossible, it's mutually exclusive to the experience of self-hatred. So if you say, you know, I hate this glass, and you, you know, inside you, you're saying, I hate this glass, I hate this glass, this glass is horrible, it's going to break, and it's the worst, ugliest glass I've ever seen. And then you say, I see myself, or I see my thoughts hating this glass. This is a whole different level. I see this happening. Okay? It, it, it depersonalizes the experience so you can look at it, and I've talked about this, you look at it with soft eyes. You look at those voices about the glass and your hatred of the glass, you know, through the lens of compassion, through the lens of its ability to let go. 
that these thoughts have a beginning, middle, and an end, and we don't know when they're going to end. And a lot of times they feel like it's endless, right? So we, then we go on to that, it's endless, you know, and then you're stuck in that loop. And then you say, oh, I wake up, I'm aware of the thought that this loop feels endless. Okay, that's medicine. I'm aware of it. And when you're aware of it, not only have you applied the medicine, okay, but then you have the choice. Is this thought a fact? You know? Or is it an interpretation? Is that helpful? <laughs> so, when it's not helpful, follow the instructions. <laughs> Um, it's you know it's interesting. Mindfulness is is much easier to practice than it is to describe. It's much much easier. So we sit and we look inside our mind and our body, and we do, the simple question is, what's going on right now? So just sitting for a minute, just asking yourself, what's going on? What's the predominant experience? just right now. Um, so the question was, why is it um, when you're moving around you feel better when you're just sitting there? You know, it's a complicated question to, to answer because sometimes, you know, movement could be a distraction. On the other hand, movement could be very helpful because you be, may be engaging in skillful activities. Um, you know, sitting may be too much, too strong of a confrontation of what's going on in your mind or your body, so you, you know you choose to avoid it. So only, you know, this is this is the matter of wisdom. You know, some people don't feel better when they move around. Some people feel better when they move around. There's no answer. The answer comes from within. What what's the function of this moving around? What's the function of it? What does it feel like? Is it avoidant? Is it skillful? Is it wise? What, what does walking have to do with uh, the potential to leave, alleviate depression? Um, well, it has many things. First of all, it's embodied. You know, you are stepping and feeling and you're in the air and you have the potential to, uh, to connect with the elements, the earth element, the, the, the water, the, the fire element, um, the wind element. And just being out and 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 seeing beauty and experience, allowing that sense of nature to saturate you is a very healing thing. And the other thing, uh, physiologically, the endorphins get going and it kicks in um, the kind of um, um, energy that you don't get when you're sitting around uh, lying in bed or just sitting there. So it you know, physiologically provides a, a pump you know, for you to... Uh, it, it changes the chemistry in your brain. So I want to um, just ask people to, again, talk in pairs. And I want um, the people who haven't met, who are for, new here tonight, to form a little group just to um, talk about your intentions and why you're here. And for the old-timers to... Um, Talk to each other in pairs about what kind of medicine you've been using um, over the past week or, or two that's uh, been helping, helping the, um, the problem of or the suffering of depression. Is that clear? Okay.
Thank you. Because we've learned a lot of uh, tools, so I'm curious how effective they've been. The new people can just have a little group, and you can just introduce yourselves by your first name, and you could talk about your, you know, why you're here and what your intentions are. Great. Um, it's not so not, not so popular in Buddhist teachings in America, but uh, uh, reflecting on gratitude and reflecting on the skillful things that you've done each day is actually the way um, um, you're encouraged to go to sleep at night in the monasteries. You know, to actively reflect on letting somebody go ahead of you. You know, washing a spoon from the sink smiling, um, um, uh, getting a chair for somebody who's maybe slightly um, uh, unsteady, you know, going and asking uh, if anybody needs help. You know, these little things in that uh, to, to reflect, not that you have to save a life, I mean, not these grand, necessarily a grand thing, but um, which would be very nice to reflect on, but... Um, and that's supposed to help you in your sleep, you know, and help encourage you for the next day. Because especially Westerners, our minds are so conditioned to be critical. This is like a reconditioning to um, to be grateful for what happened, to be to go to the next level after complaining that you're in bed that you have one. You know, I was complaining in the car, like I am really nervous. You know that I'm. I'm driving down here, and I hope I can get here. You know what I mean? And like, who am I going to call? And you know, the anxiety. It's like I don't know anybody's number, and I should have gotten somebody's number in the class. And Linda's going to be there, and then she's going to worry. And da da da. And then I thought, well, okay, th- you know, this is you know, I I I woke up to it, and then I said, well, uh, I live in Berkeley, and there are so many homeless people in Berkeley, right, uh, sleeping on the street. I see them all the time. You know, and they, you know, they're, they walk, they have, uh, shopping carts filled with blankets and stuff. And I said, well, so Linda will live without me. The class will live without me. People will figure it out. You know what I mean? And I, you, you gotta work on yourself. You gotta, you know, that, that's, that's the, that's the mission here. All right. If I didn't teach my class tonight, well, what else did I do today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, patience is one of the, you know, the greatest virtues. And as I talked about last week, there's a um, expression in, in, in Thai. I mean, not not Thai as in Thich Nhat Hanh, but Thai as in Thailand. It's called Otton, and it's just it means patient endurance. And you know, if it's hot, you know, you're in a bad mood. Whatever it is, is to patiently endure through it, and not interfere. You know, sometimes. You know, uh, the inner critic, you know, the, these thoughts f- flying through. And then what, what do we do to ourselves inside? You know, we often make it worse. You know, I'm a, I'm a bad person. It, we, we proliferate around it. This is just kind of living aside, living alongside, and it will change. So, auton is a, is a, is a phrase of patient endurance that has wisdom embedded in it, knowing that Everything that arises passes away, and so too will this particular mind state or body state pass. So just living through it. So uh, I, I, I want to just raise um, raise a question uh, to you um, that maybe some of you, some of you who have uh, sat with me before know. Um, 
that oftentimes depression has to do with our interpretation of events. So just imagine yourself walking down the street and you're on one side of the street and somebody's on the other side of the street and, you know, you, you, you recognize the person and you wave, you know, hi. And the other person on the other side of the street just keeps walking and doesn't wave back. Okay? So what, what thoughts arise in your mind? The idea is that we actually don't know. You know, we actually, when we, we wave a hand and somebody doesn't respond, or your neighbors, you know, don't say, don't say hello back, uh, does, anybody, does anybody actually know for a fact what's going on? Whether they forgot their eye, eyeglasses or whatever. I mean, th- this is the thing with, with depression. You know, the, the, the kind of default, like on, when you're on the computer, like, you know, the default is, uh, what's a good example of a default? New Roman font. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good one. I like that. So you're, you're typing along and it's always in times New Roman. That's like the default. And then if you want to make the effort, you have to go to font and you have to look down like the 600 fonts. Okay. That are available. But if you don't make that effort, it goes straight to times New Roman. So let's say that times New Roman is the depression. You know, you just fall back. That, you know, no, that they don't like me, that I'm worthless, that I, you know, that, um, she, you know, she's not interested in me. And, it, and, and actually, what, what's, what's the, what's the reality of the situation? We don't know. So, uh, another example, um, the boss, uh, your boss, or I know some people are struggling with unemployment. So let's just say, I'll give another example. Let's just say, uh, somebody, uh, you email somebody, okay, and they don't email back. Or you call them, you leave a message, and they don't call you back. What are some of the thoughts that pop up like a popcorn? I'm rejected. They're busy. I said something wrong. Okay, I'm, the, I'm the low priority. I'm not important. Right. Does anybody get angry? Feelings are hurt, yeah. Feel um, overlooked. Having expectations no matter what, in what direction is a good recipe for depression, isn't it? You know, because you're bound to get disappointed at some point or another. Um, So uh, another example would be, um, you know, you're driving along and there's... um, you, you get a flat tire, and you're, you're kind of you don't know how to change it, and you're waiting there. What kind of thoughts might go through your mind? Fearful? Why me? <laughs> Glad I have AAA. Cell phone? Okay. I'm all alone. Yeah, I feel so stupid. I'm such a moron that I don't know how to even fix the tire, right? And then all these abandonment issues. You know, ten, ten, you know. I'm not putting words in people's mouths. I'm just kind of summarizing from years of experience. But then, you know, there's, oh, you know, my parents didn't love me and I'm abandoned. And, you know, it's like, and then, you know, my brother rejected me when, you know, when I, I felt so alone. And all of a sudden you're like, you know, you're, you're just like practically like 
you know, in tears because this this flat tire symbolizes my whole life, you know. <laughs> and and uh, what what really happened? You have a flat tire and there's action required and yes, fear is involved and you know and these thoughts come up. But you know, again, the medicine is is applied to these are thoughts. They're not facts. I don't have to go on the train to Depressionville. I can choose. I can I can look at these thoughts as thoughts. Okay? And I don't have to uh run my life around them or this moment around them. And this is great liberation from the the really the terror of always interpreting things because you know if you're depressed you're just not going to come up with a good interpretation <laughs> you know maybe chances are I should say chances are you know um, so another one of the medicines that the so I, I'm saying this very emphatically as a as a tool a really important tool is to become you know intimately aware of when you're making an interpretation okay when you're making an interpretation and then make a make a deliberate intention to take the next step which is to say what's the fact of the situation okay so the first step is is this a, you know something happens okay a response arises you know um i've been abandoned and then Mindfulness saying this is a thought, okay, and I could look at this feeling of abandonment. I don't have to be it. This is this is an interpretation, and then go back. What's the fact of the situation? Has everybody had that experience where you're you're misinterpreting something? You know, so I really is one of the homework assignments. I really strongly encourage you to really look this week at situations that arise in which simultaneously an interpretation arises to use the medicine of mindfulness to un- to see it as an interpretation and then go back and say what is the fact of the situation constantly looking and saying what is going on that's the medicine that's awareness and it ha- i mean it happens instantaneously and just as instantaneously as it arises is our intention to catch it in our intention to see it our intention to to uh feel it observe it smell it whatever it is and it's very humbling it's very humbling how fast it happens but the next thought is you know i can never do this then it's too fast one moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom and if you just do one moment of mindfulness every day and hopefully more than that every day that's still a moment of freedom so um watch the thoughts that tend to minimize what what the medicine could do and instead say this you know just this right now i have created a moment of freedom um since it's, is that is that helpful just this moment is a is a moment of freedom is 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 as opposed to having it escalate is it's that i can't do it just why just say my mind is telling me i can't do it it happens too fast just that is a moment of freedom just the observation 
that without the supportive environment that it's harder. That's really skillful mindfulness. So you're already doing it. You're already strengthening. You're already applying the method and seeing that clearly. Sometimes people get intimidated, you know, 45 minutes and I'm so busy, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, you know, five minutes. It's great. Ten, ten, Ten minutes is great, you know. It's like that is really setting a huge foundation, okay, is without putting all this pressure about what it means to be a good meditator, you know. And those moments are moments of freedom, and then they multiply, okay. And then the effort and the intention has to keep, keep arising. And that's, you know, that takes effort and mindfulness to be planting those seeds. So I want to... Um, uh, I was asked earlier, and I'm, I was very happy because it's parallel to what I wanted to do tonight, which is to talk about um, um, the nourishing activities in our lives and the depleting activities in our lives as an antidote, as as, as having the being mindful of these um, situations that tend to drain us and depress us versus situations that tend to uplift us and make us feel better. Now, given the fact that life is imperfect, okay, nothing is going to be 100% nourishing or maybe nothing is going to be 100% depleting. But, you know, intuitively or instinctively, most of us know that there are certain people who are more supportive than others and certain people we get, we're, we're around and they drag us down. And there's certain places and there's certain situations that we're in that create different mood states. Okay. So what I'd like you to do now is with a partner is talk about or ident- and identify uh, A, some of the depleting situations in your life and how you can either minimize or avoid them to the extent you're able. And then B, Talk about the situations in your life, the people, places, and things that tend to nourish you, that tend to offer you a sense of well-being, that tend to offer you that sense of self-respect and self-loyalty that, you know, is so much more satisfying than, you know, feeling cut down or, you know, uh, being shredded to pieces by something or some experience. And the reason why I'm bringing this really important mindfulness skill up is that, If you go home, or if you plan to go home, and you make this list of nourishing and depleting activities, then it is there. So when you do feel your mind dropping, and you these these symptoms arise, where you feel the lack of pleasure, or you know that you believe you're never going to get better, then you have that life raft of mindfulness right there on a piece of paper that says this is the time where I need to focus my attention on going to the nourishment list, okay, and avoiding, to the extent that you're able, the depletion list, right? Now, it sounds very kind of mechanical, maybe a little heartless, but it really, really works. It really works. It's not, it's not, it's a very powerful medicine because I'll tell you, This is why we don't usually think of the situations that nourish us. We usually think about the situations that deplete us and make us feel horrible. Okay, so this is the intention to think about who are the people, who are the places, what are the things 
that energize me, that make me feel good, that reestablish that sense of dignity and integrity that's often, you know, lopped off or chopped off um, when you're in a state of depression. So think about two different kinds of activities that involve people, persons, places, or things. And the first is to think about, you know, A, the, deplete, the de- things that deplete you, that, ta- that bring you down, that energetically make you feel concave and, and, and awful, can bring you to tears, send you to bed, whatever, shut your door and feel like you never want to come out. The other, uh, so that's the depleting activities, all right? Then the nourishing activities have to do with, with recollecting the people, places, and things that actually make you feel good, make you feel alive, make you feel appreciate, appreciated, make you feel self-respecting. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is that when you feel the symptoms of depression coming on, that you can make the effort to go to this list and focus on engaging in some of those nourishing activities and avoiding, to the extent that you're able, the ones that deplete you. So you're making, you're planting the seed of self-nourishment, self-respect, dignity, okay, of things that you're going to feed yourself that are going to interrupt this, <laughs> you know, the kind of poisonous thoughts that send you send you down into the basement. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a good question, you know, because it, it is another interpretation, but that's where wisdom comes in. You know, you, 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 you know, you choose to go for the bike ride or you choose to make a phone call, listen to music. Sometimes it works and sometimes it may not, you know, so then that you learn from that. It's, it's you know, never 100 percent. You know, in this situation, I'll take it as a challenge. It makes me feel good. In other situation, it's like, you know, it could be absolutely devastating because that's not your mind state. It's the mind state's instead of being a challenge, it, it's you know it's a self, it's an opportunity for self pity. So, um, without further ado, um, um, please break up again into a group uh, pairs of two and talk about nourishing and depleting activities um, uh, that you can use in your life, the nourishing ones and the depleting ones that you can avoid. So this is good. this is going to be the second homework assignment, by the way. That you know, so I want you to really pay attention. In addition to the interpretation assignment, okay. Thank you. Uh, before uh, we, I get some feedback. I wanted to thank Linda, our manager. Thank you. <laughs> Linda, thank you. And I wanted to thank our dear, my my dear friend, for. Um, Oh, God, don't embarrass me. I can't remember your name. Jim. I was going to say Bill. We've only known each other for about 20 years. That gives me... So now I can beat myself up. Jim, thank you very much. Okay. Sorry. Um, for for um, helping out, out tonight. So thank you. I appreciate it. Wanda, right. <laughs> or Rita or whatever. Okay. Yeah, these are the difficult, these are the difficult moments in life. And so just, again, for this week, we'll... I'll get some feedback from you about the nourishing and depleting activities, but I just want to repeat very clearly what the homework is. To become aware of situations, okay, become mindful of situations in which your mind goes into interpretation mode. 
and be aware of what those interpretations are. Okay, develop an acute, intimate awareness of the interpretation and then uh, use your mindfulness, the intention to to um, return to the facts of that situation rather than living out the interpretation. Okay, and just use that as a meditation every single day. Okay, and see how often the mind spins out in in ways that don't at all match or not necessarily match the experience. And then the second homework instruction is to write down the nourishing and depleting activities in two different columns. And then as you feel the scent of depression arising, or if it is you know, active, then to consult this list to avoid to the extent that you're able the depleting activities and to focus your mind and mindful intention to uh, doing the things that uh, will bring nourishment and self-respect. Okay. So we have a few minutes for um, comments, please, or responses. Oh, at the monastery, the, the the last meditation that you're encouraged to do it at night is to review the day and to, in, in, uh, with intention, bring to mind the skillful uh, and loving things, the generous things that you have done as a way of planting the seeds for future skillful deeds. The second thing we're encouraged to do is to bring up all the, um, the things that we, are, we can express gratitude for. Okay, as a way of moisturizing the mind and conditioning it towards looking uh, at things from a grateful point of view rather than uh, you know, a, a point of view which, te- which um, feels that we're operating from a lack, from a place of feeling diminished. Or di- so um, any, any comments? Yes. Sometimes the most skillful thing to do is to distract yourself, and other times the most skillful thing to do is to develop an intimate relationship with the direct experience of sadness. But because you're, you know, if you're in a devastating situation, it's a particularly difficult time in your life. It doesn't mean you have to be that, feel that, you know, all the time. I mean, it's it's exhausting. It's a burden. It's not helpful. Doesn't it's not going to help the situation. So, uh, you know, as you become, you know, more mindful and applying that medicine, um, naturally the wisdom bubbles up and says, you know, well, you know, is this the time you know, to go out and have a cup of coffee? You know, it's not like you're going to a bar and getting drunk. You know what I mean? It's not, destruct- it's not destructive. It's constructive. So you can ask yourself those kinds of questions. But... Um, there's a case for positive denial, you know. There's a case for positive denial. If something terrible happens, doesn't mean you have to like stare it in the face 24 hours a day. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, good question. So, um, so you take it baby steps, you know. What could I do each hour or each half day? that's going to bring a sense of nourishment and accomplishment. You break it down into little pieces.
and then give yourself credit. Because the enormity of the situation could really knock you out, and so that's the last thing that you want. Yeah. You, want you want the feeling of efficacy. You want to establish through mindfulness the feeling of efficacy and, and feedback that, and enjoy the nourishment that comes from it. Okay. And one more quick one because it's 9.03. Does everybody understand the assignment for next week? So keep doing the loving kindness on the go. By the way, that's what I love about loving kindness on the go is that, you know, you can, if you're in a difficult situation during the day, Okay, you can use that situation to step back, go into your body, look at the situation, repeat the phrases of loving kindness. It really it really tends to transform very difficult situations. I was in the bank the other day. It wasn't a nice situation. They I'll just give you my personal example. You can cut the don't have to. You know. Um, um, So my 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 husband and I have had a a checking account at Wells Fargo for forever, right? It just passed. I felt my feet on the ground. I uh, took a few breaths in and out of my heart, and I asked for, you know, the feeling of happiness and peace and kindness. And then I looked at the situation, at these, like, you know, kind of bureaucrats and their, their you know, basically their inability to really do anything and they're kind of paper pushers and, you know, and they weren't doing this deliberately to me and my husband and, like, this was a computer-generated mess. And I just felt such love in the whole bank, you know? It's like, it's like, you know, like I said, this is such a metaphor of what a mess life is. You know what I mean? It's just such a metaphor. These things happen, they, you know, they escalate, they roll red, there's all this ripple effect. And, you know, why don't I just give this gift to myself? I don't want to suffer about this. I've suffered enough. Give the gift of loving kindness to myself. Give the gift of loving kindness to these people. You know, they're not, they didn't wake up that morning and say they were going to make me miserable, right? Or anybody miserable. They want to say, they want to be happy just as I do want to be happy. So it, it was a good example of a, it's still going on. The ripple effect is still happening. Um, it's almost over, actually. Um, and it transformed the whole thing. So loving kindness on the go. I'm just giving my plug for it. Thank you very much. See you next week.